Alright, so um, we haven't done this yet. Uh, typically, we uh, have a person who wrote the article on the podcast, uh, but a few of us have been talking about getting a bit more into discussions about these articles. And so we started this impromptu article club, I guess you'd call it. Uh, the hope is that the listeners make an effort to read the article before the podcast, and then we kind of discuss the paper. Um, and it's less about the article uh, verbatim um, and more about how it relates in the field. Um, I guess a few of us kind of realize that we don't have that same doctoral seminar group where we end up having these uh, big discussions like we did in grad school or I'll speak to m- for myself. That's how I felt. I miss that kind of yeah. community of reading a paper and, you know, having this bigger conversation about it. Um, so this format is going to be not just covering the paper, what happened, more about how it relates. And there will be, you know, some criticism. And I hope that people kind of take this with just our opinion on the article. Um, but, you know, um, we'll, we'll leave that to a further discussion. So um, unfortunately, Michael Hemphill um, lost his voice. And so he that's doesn't make for good uh, podcasting. So uh, Michael Hemphill will join other uh, other podcasts for this. But let's introduce the inaugural panel. Uh, Kevin Richards, can you give a brief introduction? Uh, yeah, so Kevin Richards, I'm at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, most of my work focuses on uh, the, the socialization of teachers through the processes uh, that we recruit, uh, educate, uh, recruit and educate uh, pre-service teachers and then teachers' lives and careers out in the context of schools. Awesome. And we also have Justin Hagel on the line. Justin? Hey, guys. I'm, I'm Justin Hagel. I'm from Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, my research is centered in adaptive physical education. Um, uh, a lot of the things that I, I like to look at is how people with disabilities experience uh, physical education or physical activity environments. Um, from a first-person perspective. Awesome. So the paper we're covering is titled Using Meaningful Experiences as a Vision for Physical Education Teaching and Teacher Education Practice. Uh, This was published uh, just recently in Physical Education and Sport Pedagogy by uh, Deirdre Nee Croynan, Stephanie Benny, Tim Fletcher, Ciara Griffin, and Caitlin Price. Um, So let's let's get into the paper. just jump in however you feel like. What was your major takeaway uh, from the paper? Um, so I, I guess from what resonated with me from the beginning was uh, you know, the, the early discussion about how within the field of, of education, but specifically within physical education, we, we don't necessarily have um, a, you know, a shared vision uh, you know, there, there are different camps or priorities, I feel like, within the field um, that all have legitimacy in different ways. Um, Hal Lawson's work is, is cited in here a few times, and uh, in, in the book uh, that they refer to, he talked about how physical education sits at the intersection between education, uh, health slash wellness, and sport. Uh, and that, that those three priorities pull people in different directions relative to their belief structures or perhaps using the language of here, uh, their visions for the field. Um, uh, and that really resonated with me because I feel like one of the major uh, barriers that we have as a, as a profession 
is that we don't have that shared vision. We don't have that shared idea set. So it's hard to even have conversations about what physical education is or could be. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I think, you know, the, the paper talks a lot about vision. And um, I guess the, the ensuing question is that do, do we as PEAT educators, adapted PEAT educators, do we, do we talk about that vision? And I, you know, the, the thing that kind of clicked with me in this paper was that, you know, I definitely have a teaching philosophy, Right. And I write it each year and I craft it and I reconsider it every year that my tenure file is due. Right. So I look at it and I think about what do I believe in? How do I craft it? And it's it's on a written document. So it's in my opinion, it's real. But it makes me think, like, do I did I communicate that to my teachers? I asked them to do a teaching philosophy, but I think the teaching philosophy and the vision they're talking about is different. Yeah, and when they started, when we started reading this and talking or reading about vision for the field, I started thinking about conversations that I remember from um, sitting around rooms at Ohio State, um, particularly the introductory meetings each year where we were told about each of the faculty's different thought processes and views on physical education. And, and I'm, I'm always curious to ask PE folk, because I think it's a bit different for us in adapted PE, um, where our vision essentially is to ad uh, adapt whatever it is that the PE folk are doing so that there's uh, access for people with disabilities in those, um, in those different activities or visions or whatever they are. But I'm curious all the time asking uh, Pete folk what their vision for PE is and so what do you guys think like what's your vision for PE? Uh, good question. It's a difficult question. Um, you know, I, I am more of a of an elementary minded person. Uh, I always have been um, and, and so it's hard for me to really think about the secondary context because I do think that the goals and priorities can be can be different when you move from elementary into secondary. But, but for me, at the elementary level, um, and those are the courses that I, that I teach with uh, our, our pre-service teachers in the program, um, you know, I'm really interested in fundamental motor skill development. We use uh, the Graham, Holt, Hale, and Parker children moving text as kind of foundational to everything we do. Uh, and so I think that, that broadly, my vision or goal um, within an elementary physical education context is to help children develop um, skills uh, that they'll be able to then go on and use later in life to facilitate effective movement uh, and also to to associate physical education with in uh, physical activity with positive uh, emotions and thoughts so that um, you know down the road uh, they, they want to continue to be physically active yeah and I, I had a feeling that someone's gonna ask this question and so I, I thought about this and I'm like, okay, we got to the end and what is my vision? And, and I've, I've had a few people kind of try to poke at me, uh, Nate Babcock, about what is your vision of PE? What is quality physical education on Twitter? And I'm like, well, I can't, I can't convey this in such a short message. But I think one of the issues when you read all of these research papers that are, you know, highly academic, they talk about, you know, sociocultural issues, TPSR, social justice, 
and we're we're pushing the field in that way for sure i do think that sometimes and i'm you know in the in the things that i'm integrating as well literacy math technology i wonder how much that's displacing the original intent which really is physical activity or getting kids physically active and i do think that there's a disconnect because when i'm asking feedback from teachers in the modules that we're creating for, let's say, integrating STEM education into, you know, PE classes or after school programs, they're coming back to me saying, well, my goal is to get kids as physically active as possible in my class because I only have a short period of time. So then they neglect to like push in this piece about literacy integration or technology integration because it takes away from physical activity. And I'm not arguing that that's the right way to do things or the wrong way to do things, but I, w- I would think that let's not you know forget what the focus of physical education is, is about physical, right? And I think the uh, yeah, yeah. push is, and you know, Mikhail Quinterstead has this putting the E back into PE. And I think it's a fine balance. And I, you know, if you would ask my vision, I would say it's to provide high quality physical education to Pete students in our program, challenge them to think differently, consider all students, but still teach high quality PE that consists of skill development and focusing on students' lifetime physical activity. Yeah, and 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 I I agree with everything you just said, Risto. Um, at the same time, though, uh, the time that I spent in Alabama um, taught me about how contextual all of this is, and how what matters or what's quote unquote meaningful uh, varies based upon the the realities of the uh, the site in which you're working or teaching or or, or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you know, we, we ran this, uh, my, my doctoral student, Tori Ivy and I ran this um, after school program uh, in Alabama for three years. Uh, and, and there were some really, it was a, a, you know, a community affected by poverty. There were a, there were a lot of, of challenges and a lot of strengths as well um, that, that, that we could kind of build from. But, you know, walking away from that, it really changed how I felt about priorities within that particular setting because more than anything, I just wanted to create a safe space for those kids where they could come uh, experience some enjoyment through movement, of course, and movement's still central to what we're doing, but also where we could engage in conversations about social and emotional learning, personal and social responsibility, those types of things, because of how important that was for the kids in that particular environment. So I'm kind of contradicting, I think, a little bit of what I said initially, but I, think, I do think some of this is contextually bound. And I, and yeah, I, so, go ahead, Justin. Well, so when, when I think about um, PE, when we're talking about things like social emotional learning and, and, uh, and reducing bullying or bringing STEM in, I, I always go back to this, this thought of PE as a field that has to defend itself and has yeah, to yeah. feel its worth, right? And so one of the challenges I have oh. though is when we're trying to show our worth, I think we need to show what unique uh, um, attributes we contribute to the kids. And even when I looked, somehow wraps back to the paper, <clears throat> when I looked at what they listed as meaningful features in PE, in my view, four to five of those are features that can be found in any 
any classroom environment, being varied forms of social interactions, engaging in tasks that have challenge, having fun and experiencing things perceived as personally relevant. So when I'm thinking about what my vision is for PE or what's meaningful in PE to me, um, particularly from a, I need to argue that PE should exist standpoint. And, and I think us in adapted PE have to argue that adapted PE exists. Hence, we have to argue that PE should exist. Um, I think of things that are unique to PE that kids aren't going to get somewhere else, like the lifetime fitness and, uh, and health aspect or the motor development or motor skill development aspect. And, and so I, I have a challenge when we, with the idea of bringing all these other aspects into our, our vision for PE, because I think it dilutes the meaningfulness of PE. And see, I think that that's actually a really key point. Um, I, I've felt for a while, and, and this relates, I think, in some ways back to what I said at the beginning, um, but uh, what you just said, Justin, I think relates back to the, back to the notion as well that, that I think that physical education tends to be a discipline that, that looks to hitch itself to a wagon that it thinks is going to carry it forward. And so first it was obesity. Uh, you know, this is just in my short time within the field, but I've seen these kind of three different phases. First, it was obesity. Physical education matters because we can reduce obesity uh, and create, quote unquote, healthier children. Then it became uh, cognition. Uh, and so the, this association between physical activity and academic enrichment, and then it was like physical education matters because we can help children become better learners. Uh, and now it feels like, and this has been, you know, for better or for worse, uh, largely driven by Shape America's new agenda, um, uh, but now it feels like there's this shift towards social and emotional learning is that new bandwagon. So we keep jumping from thing to thing to thing, trying to claim our relevance. Um, and I think that, you know, related to what you're saying, the problem with that is that if we define ourselves relative to something else, then if we fail to address that other thing in a meaningful way, then that reduces, uh, uh, you know, the, the contributions that we make. So, you know, w why not? advocate for physical education in its own right. But then I would say I couldn't tell you what physical education is in its own right because everybody has different perspectives and views. Totally. Yeah. And I, I like I like the argument that physical education matters because physical education matters. And I yeah. wish that, that was the quote that we could go to policy folk or school admin and say, you know, you can't reduce PE because PE matters. But then again, like because we have such different views around the country or internationally about what PE actually is, it's kind of hard to make a general statement about what PE is, right? And so, I, you know, I've read a little bit about should we have like some, um, as a field, some priorities or some aligned um, outcomes or views or visions as, as this paper used for the, the field and I'm I'm in favor of it because I think it provides us a more strong voice when we're advocating for ourselves. Um, but I, I I understand the need for diversity. Like I definitely appreciate you know that perspective. But yeah, I'm, and I and I think I'm you're honest. you're right in the sense that that argument PE matters because PE matters just doesn't stand up. So and I think that's why you know we've hitched our wagon you know, to all these things to move us forward. But I do agree that it's not necessarily the best idea. But we, mm -hmm. at this point in where APE is or PE is or we're together, 
we just can't, you know, you, we can't rest on the fact that people assume that PE is good for the sake of that argument. So I think it's... I would, oh, sorry, Rizzo. No, go ahead. I, but I would, argue, I would argue that, at least in part, that goes back to marginality. Um, and it's connected to this notion of, um, you know, the prioritization of, of school subjects within uh, the, the context or, or the social uh, phenomenon of schooling, where, um, you know, uh, disciplines and subjects that are more aligned with uh, cognitive thinking, quote unquote, blue or sorry, quote unquote, white collar subjects. Uh, have higher status. They're more central to the to the primary mission of what schools are supposed to do, and so then these ancillary, quote unquote, ancillary or marginal subjects like art, music, and physical education don't get the same, um, you know, priority, and they're not viewed as relevant. And so then they have to 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 seek elsewhere to justify what we do. And so first we do that through health, then we do that through contributions to academic enrichment, and now we're doing it through social emotional learning. Yeah, well, and so I think I think that like the marginalization piece, which, you know, a, a, as Kevin knows, one of the arguments I like to make is that APE is a marginalized field within a marginalized yeah. field or at the intersection of two marginalized fields. But <clears throat> I also think that I think that for us to actually want to not be marginalized as a field, we need to make sure our product is on point. And so recently I had a conversation with an adapted PE teacher out here in, in the Hampton Roads area. And they were furious that um, their one of their students who happened to have a visual impairment was being removed from PE um, to do O and M instruction, right? And so you know there's there's some legal issues there um, that you can make an argument against. But I but you know I happen to know the student, and I happen to know that her PE experiences are really bad. Um, yeah. The adaptive PE teacher is a <clears throat> is a consult, right? So he's not providing that direct instruction. And so what I told him is, if you want to make the argument that she should be in PE, why don't you make PE better? And then yes. she'll want to be in PE, yes. right? Yes. And so what we're talking about right now, Justin, this is making me to think about, this is forcing me to think about adaptive PE in a way that it, I think extends some of our conversations, but, but hasn't really been part of our conversations uh, in the sense then, in the sense that uh, adaptive physical education, and we're seeing this in some interviews that we're doing with adaptive PE teachers right now as part of a study, the relevance or importance of adaptive physical education is connected to the relevance or importance or conduct or quality of, of school physical education. So then you're, as an adaptive PE teacher, you're basically depending on somebody else who may or may not do their job well to position your subject well. So if you have a, a low quality physical education experience, it's hard to do things like appropriately integrate uh, students into uh, students with disabilities into a, 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 you know a general physical education because they're not going to be getting a meaningful experience. Right. So so imagine the frustration when um, we're talking to parents about a field that's hitched its wagon to your field to PE, right? Who's hitching its wagon to social emotional learning? where the kids we're talking about are getting bullied every day in class and they're being told like PE is going to enhance social emotional learning for your kid. But if we went back to PE mattering because PE matters, then, you know, that I, I think that exchange doesn't, doesn't happen, but it, it's happened quite a few times with me. And I think it's fascinating every time, but, but isn't somebody, I think I just heard a rumor that somebody's writing a book on social emotional learning for PE pretty soon. 
Yeah, yes, I heard that rumor too. Um, and I heard the rumor that you might be contributing a chapter to that book. That's a rumor. <laughs> but rumors aside, if we if we look at saying I so, can't even with you right now. <laughs> but if we look at social emotional learning as this big national drive right now, right? We're like, hey, let's buy into social emotional learning and you know, if you look at the messaging from let's say Shape America, right? Social emotional learning is what we're focusing on. That does not mean that PE just started focusing on social emotional learning. That means no. the highly no. active teachers, the highly engaged teachers, the best of the best who are looking at what's the next thing, what's the next thing are focusing on that. The people who are active on Twitter that want to promote that are there so it seems like we're doing that. But if I go to a random school you know, within a 25 mile radius and you do the same and in your respective universities. I doubt that if I go into a PE class that they're focusing on social emotional learning. I bet it's still team yep. sports, it's still yep. fitness, it's fitness testing, does this, X, Y, Z. And so with the national vision, the issue is it's not done correctly, right? It's not done on mm -hmm. a, you know, across, across different school settings. Yeah, I think I think the, the conversation about Twitter is interesting as well, where I, I had a conversation with one of our doc students here just this past weekend about these PE celebrities on Twitter and how they push things like social emotional learning and such. And um, and one of the points he made, which I think is, is interesting, is that on Twitter, you basically have people who think they're amazing sharing their ideas. But if you go to something like Facebook or Reddit, it's people looking to share something and get advice. And I think that's a really interesting dichotomy between the type of people that use those things. Um, it, in my view, um, it's not those people that drive our, our current focus, quote unquote, on social emotional learning. I think it's that organizations see a, an area to make some sort of profit uh, or some sort of dent. And so then they say, okay, this is the thing we're going to focus on because it's hot in education right now. And so let's push it forward into PE and then it's adopted by those PE celebrities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me react to both of those things in a sense. You know, Risto, I think your point before uh, about first social emotional learning having been around forever, I mean, Don Hellison talked about humanistic physical education back in the early 1970s. Uh, this is something that, that, that's been around for a very long time. But what surprised me over the last you know, probably three or four years is that that for the longest time, Don himself would have said that his you know more effectively driven agenda uh, was in the margins of the field. Um, and, and now it just seems like people are coming out of the woodwork looking to focus on social and emotional learning. And and what's bothered me about that a little bit is they don't always see the the, the connection to the fact that we have been doing this or have been promoting it or there have been ways to teach this way for a very long time. Um, and then the other thing you said, Risto, about that, that gap between, you know, what organizations or teacher educators are talking about and what actually happens in schools. Another great example of that is models-based practice. A lot of universities emphasize teaching models and some of them emphasize spectrum of models. Others focus just on, you know, a, a small subset of models. 
But if, if you go out to any school within a 25 minute rate, a mile radius of your institution or Justin yours or, or mine here uh, in Champaign-Urbana, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that you're going to see a lot of models-based practice. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that, you know, going back to the Twitter conversation, when I was reading the paper at the very top on page 600, there's this quote of, Gathering endless strategies, practical tips, and curriculum information will not help you much as a teacher if you don't have a vision, right? And so I, I thought to myself, I was like, oh, this is like Twitter. And that's how most of the time people use Twitter or, you know, maybe even Facebook or Instagram. They're going on there to get these strategies and tips and what's the next game that I can teach because my, you know, activities have run out or I want to do the next cool thing. And, you know, I think, I think that's where like a really strong undergraduate education and teacher education for Pete is super important. It's got to be a good solid foundation for them to learn how to continuously learn and not, yes. not get driven by, Ooh, that's a flashy new cool game. I'm going to play that tomorrow. Like, wait, did you, did you not plan your unit? Did you not plan out your year? How does this fit into the sequence of things? And I think that, you know, if you have your principal walk in and you're doing a game off of Twitter, it looks really good. You know, if it, if it works really well, it's highly engaging. But we go back to the, you know, Judy Playsick, busy, happy, good, right? And that's, that's the observation and that's what Twitter, I think, provides. It provides this busy, happy, good recipe that since the 80s, we've been saying like, hey, that might not be the, the focus that you should be, uh, you should be you know, pushing. But yeah. it's not really all that different from conference. You go to, comp you go to like the Shape in their American National Convention, and I don't say this with any negative intent towards anybody, but the, the sessions that are the best attended are the, the the activity sessions where it's like 105 ways to use this piece of equipment mm -hmm. and, and it's because it's because people want to figure out what they're going to do on monday and and the challenge with that orientation is that if you're only ever thinking about monday and monday just be you know meaning whatever day is your next day of instruction if you're only ever thinking about that and you're not thinking about the scope and broader sequence then, then how are you working towards accomplishing the broader goals of the discipline? Yeah, no, it's funny, Kevin, that you thought of conferences because while <clears throat> while Risto was talking, all I'm thinking is I'm going to Bayford next week and I'm going to see a bunch of conference uh, presentations talking about how to use, you know, how to use Gator balls in 17 different ways. And you know, I understand the purpose of those. Um, and well, the several purposes being, you know, to have something that draws teachers in and then also something to market brands and such. Um, but yeah, to me, to me, the, the challenge is so much further beyond like a good, like a good conference. I don't think conferences can really do other things other than provide those games. I'm not sure if they can challenge the philosophical orientation of teachers to think about why they're teaching and why they teach the way they teach. And you know, to me, like even with with our undergrads here at ODU, I feel like part of my role is to challenge why they think the way they think about PE, not just provide like here are some answers. And so like I teach one adapted PE course for the undergrads here. 
And essentially, I spend the first half of the semester asking them why they think the way they think about PE, about the purpose of PE, about disability. What is a disability? Why do you think that's a disability? Like, because if we don't challenge them philosophically, we can't even get to scope, sequence, curriculum, and then lesson plans, and then specific activities. Um, but, but I mean, I think undergraduate programs nationally are, are all playing the same game. And, you know, we also have to be very selective with what we teach because we only have so many credits. Um, yep. Yep. So yep. there's so many issues, I think, with education. And, and I, I feel like other places internationally have a different viewpoint on this, like a more refreshing philosophically oriented viewpoint. And man, I'd like to go spend some time in another country to, to learn how they do things. So if you could go to another country, what country would that be and why? Question to both of you. Um, I would go to every other country. Um, and, and like, I don't just mean that in jest, but I've been to maybe a handful, maybe five or six different places. And I've seen schools in five or six different places and, and they're incredibly different. And the perspective of PE is different, toward PE is different, but also the perspective toward PE teacher education is different. And so, I mean, I, I haven't been to schools. I've been to one uh, center, but no schools in any European countries yet. I read a lot of uh, things coming out of Europe as far as scholarship is concerned. I have research crushes on like half a dozen European people. I think I'd like to go explore um, a couple of schools and a couple of higher ed institutes out there. I don't have a specific country though. I'm not, I'm not that, that well planned. Yeah, I don't know if I if I necessarily. I, I think that the I think the idea of of, of traveling and, and seeing the manifestation of physical education across different contexts is a very appealing a very appealing thing, and I think that that would help to uh, help that would help me to better understand my perspectives and maybe challenge my perspectives or reinforce them. But I don't know that I have a particular country in mind either. How about you, Risto? You both were very political in your answers, by the way. I have to note that. Like, not being able to lock you down on one specific country, you both might eventually run for some specific office. Um, I don't know. But uh, my, my goal has been, uh, ever since I graduated from uh, my doctoral program at Teachers College uh, to actually go to Finland and um, I go to Finland every summer but that is a uh, not ideal time to go to Finland to uh, visit schools and visit universities because uh, no one is in school during summer so uh, what I'm looking forward to is uh, this Friday um, I'm traveling to Finland for two weeks to go to the University of Uvascula, and I'm I'm giving a presentation about kind of my path, and then comparing the U.S. and uh, the U.S. system to my experiences in primary school in Finland, and I have a feeling that they have a very different uh, focus on physical education than what we do in the U.S. and that's just my guess. Uh, but I'm going to go to a primary school and a secondary school to kind of see that. And I'm always fascinated with, you know, this different point of view or this different, you know, just reality in different contexts. And, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, school uniforms and things like that 
are not a thing in Finland. And I think those are there's certain kind of thresholds of pain for students that they just kind of like eliminate. And I know I just said like a school uniform is a threshold of pain, but I do think that that's true for some some students. I would agree with that. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's 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 I think it's a refreshing thing to not think that we in the United States are doing things correctly, but rather we could go learn a lot of things from heading out to other places and seeing how they do things. And I think much more so in yes, like look, PE, I don't think a ton of people in the US are going to say like PE across the board is the best in the world in in the US. I think people know that we have some gaps in the game but more so i'm looking forward to going into seeing what their teacher education system is like right how do mm-hmm. they educate future teachers what's the rigor what's the what's the what are the types of courses that they that they're spending time in and i think that would be um, a really interesting like second look as well yeah, and you know, <clears throat> some of the European countries as well, Risto, and I'm not sure if, uh, if Finland's one of them or not, but, but, you know, in the U.S., we have a hard time recruiting enough students to fill our programs, and Pete, and, and that's led, as, as we know, to the, the closure of some, some once pretty prominent programs within the United States. Uh, you know, my uh, doctoral uh, uh, granting institution, Purdue University, being one of them, who is no longer in the business of preparing pre-service physical education teachers. But if you look at some of these other countries in Europe, uh, because uh, of of the way that they do higher education, perhaps um, they they don't have that same problem with with filling programs. Yeah, and I asked this question to um, to couple people on Twitter this last month and you know Ontario Canada no no teacher shortage like you know they're taking a longer time to find uh, full-time jobs up there Australia has gone through kind of a high and low Um, you know you look at different countries I think they're different I think in the US I think across the board we have a teacher shortage but if you want to work in that one specific um, school district and you want to work at that one specific school I don't think you're going to have much luck as a first-time teacher right so I think and you know different states different levels but you know I don't think if you're very specific to going back to the high school that you taught at you know, there just might not be a job available for you. But if you're willing to go, you know, 50 miles away from your home, I think that there are within that radius, there are tons of jobs available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the case here. Risto, where hours. We have um, we have a teacher shortage in the local area to the degree where not one of our graduates does not have a PE job. And we have students who are getting PE jobs before they're graduating now, as in like they're getting taken out of the classroom and put into provisional licensure uh, with the school district. Yeah. Yeah. I know the whole other can of worms. Yeah. I know in California, they, uh, they offer an intern program when I was at Cal State Fullerton that you, you could, if you were qualified and had, you know, passed the equivalent of the praxis or, um, 
you know, show that you understand the content. When you're in your student teaching part, you could be pulled into an intern program and just teach completely on your own, get paid while you're doing your student teaching, um, which, you know, you miss out on that student teaching experience. Although that internship, when you're a full-time PE teacher, counts as your student teaching piece, but you don't have that cooperating teacher in the same same way as you would in a traditional format because they're, I mean, they're desperate to get people in. So, but let's uh let's kind of wrap this up into your your ideas about this paper or any any kind of final thoughts that you have on on meaningfulness or how this kind of played out um, compared to your program or just any kind of concluding thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that, so there's two more, there's two things that like really grabbed me when reading this. One was, I wish that what was meaningful was PE specific listed in that early section in the introduction. I, I really thought that that's a missed opportunity for us to advocate for things within PE that like, back to that quote, PE matters because PE matters. Um, the other thing in this paper that, that I, I read a few times and maybe I didn't quite understand, but it, it appeared that they had this shared vision between these five, five authors. Um, however, in my view, you know, the instructors, and, and they talked about this on page 606, but the instructors, Deirdre and Tim, were the teacher educators for the other three. And so I, I have a hard time understanding how instructors aren't influencing really heavily the vision that the three students are having. And so to me, like when I read, when I read this, I think this is really Deirdre and Tim's vision and maybe um, the, the reproduction of that vision in their, in their students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, it, it, I, I think sorry, that they have this, they listed this as kind of a limitation in there about how they're in two programs with two, you know, guiding Pete educators and the, students are inherently not i'll say below them in a sense so they're they're looking up to them and they see them as mentors so i would think that you know it, it could be said as this is a a two-person vision that gets disseminated down to a master's student i mean i know in my doctoral program you know looking up to steve and looking at his vision you know, a lot of that permeates down to me and I look at it and I go, oh, yeah, I also believe in this. But is it because yeah. I take Steve's opinion in high regard, so therefore I think it's correct? And I think once you get out of, you know, your PhD program, you start thinking a little bit more broadly and thinking for yourself. Um, so I, I would agree with that as, um, as I think they do kind of address it. But I think that, that might be, a, you know, a limitation that they talk about for sure. Kevin? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you guys have really got me excited to, <laughs> about this now because I'm seeing a lot of the same things that you're talking about. Uh, I thought that, that, that the power relation uh, was a bit under-theorized uh, in the article, um, thinking about that, you know, the, the fact that, that Tim and, and Deirdre do have, do, did, did at least at one point have supervisory uh, responsibility over their students. Um, and, and so to an, to an extent, I think that that there's still an important message there. I don't, you know, the, the vision was perhaps transmitted uh, and then negotiated uh, rather than um, 
developed uh, as a group authentically in, ter- in, a, in a shared sense. Um, but uh, really, what what I saw all over this article, including that discussion, was this was a socialization focus. And and of course, Justin Justin's laughing because he <laughs> because I see everything that way, and that's you know a limitation of, of, of my lens as a researcher. But as I read this, I kept writing socialization all over the margins. And, and to me, what, what really was happening in terms of the relationships among the authors is you had faculty members who were socializing uh, their students into um, this belief structure related to meaningful uh, physical education. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. In fact, in, in some ways, that um, provides a, a validity or you know, choose your term to the, the effectiveness of the, of the teacher education experiences that they provided. So I, I think that that's actually kind of cool, but I would have liked to have seen um, power discussed a little bit more uh, in terms of the relationship among the authors. And I would have liked to have seen, if I, if I were writing this, I would have framed it through a socialization lens. And that's not to discredit the way that they framed it, um, because I don't think anything that, that could be socialization has to be socialization. But but that was the part that really tugged at me. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I don't think anybody listening to this is going to be surprised that, that you saw this through a socialization lens. Hey, when you're um, a but hammer, I, but everything you see is nails, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I do think like I think there's a, a good point there, which is like if we actually created a vision for the field that everybody could agree with. Right. And, and I'm going back to this, like there should be a vision idea, which maybe there shouldn't be. And maybe I should stop saying that because it doesn't really align with the way I see the world anyway. Um, but if there were this vision of what PE should be, then this shows me that within higher ed, we do have the power, as, um, as Kevin keeps using that term, so I'm going to use it, to influence the next generation of teachers. Now, when they go to schools, are they going to actually implement that vision? I don't know. That's again, in Kevin's world a little more than it is mine, even though I have been reading an odd amount of socialization literature recently. Um, but it is something to consider. So maybe this is, maybe this isn't really about their experience. Maybe this is more about um, like proving a concept in higher ed that we could inform the vision of the next generation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think and, you know, we- go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, we, we keep talking about the, the lack of shared vision. Something that I'll throw out there, and I don't know that I necessarily think that this is the shared vision, um, but I wonder if, if other people listening might, um, you know, uh, could the could or should uh, the Shape America National Standards be that shared vision? And, and I'm not I'm not saying that I endorse that perspective, but but that is um, you know a group of five outcomes related to what you know children should be able to know, do, and feel um, by the time that they finish high school to be considered physically literate. I think my challenge with this, Kevin, and this is not going to surprise anybody based on the way that I interact with organizations, is that you know Shape America is not. They're not scholars. They're not practitioners. They're they're an organization. They're a company essentially. That their objective is to make money, just like every other company or nonprofit or however they want to frame themselves. And so, allowing them to dictate what the vision of the field is, I think is, I think that would be really dangerous in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But I would, I, I mean, I, I would like to see maybe there could be some research done, or maybe there could be a position paper or like a, a viewpoint paper discussing 
you know, should we have a vision? Should it be a unified vision? Should we then move off? And maybe this already exists. Again, as I mentioned before, I don't read a whole lot in PE. I try to stick in my lane, um, but but I, I do think there's work to be done here, and, and it could be interesting empirical work also. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you had 50 researchers in the field of health and physical education just be just be given a prompt. What is your vision for physical education? With no limits, no follow-up, just what is your vision of physical education? And to code those 50 researchers' responses, I think it, one, I think we'd be all over the board. I think we'd be all over the board. And I think that, you know, from there, you could kind of narrow it to a wider scoping vision. But I think it would be fascinating to look at what is it U.S.-based? What is it U.K.-based? What is it? Europe based, if you put Australia and New Zealand, if you like compartmentalize those, I think that would be a fascinating research study and we should do it. Coming 2021. <laughs> I like that last part of the <laughs> sentence. <laughs> so And we should do it. <laughs> yes. So no no one's stealing our ideas, all right? So Yeah, I mean I, I would be I'd be interested in doing that. Um yeah, I, I'll leave it there. If, if this is something, I, I think there's two things that could be done. I think that is definitely one of them, and that would be fascinating because I do think we'd have a huge spread. Um, I also think a more, to me, this would be more challenging, would, would be to bring together, you know, whoever 25 of the, you know, people, whoever these people are. And I'm not talking about PE celebrities on Twitter. I mean, like, scholars who, you know, people in the PE space, bring them together and put them in a room and make them write the paper. Like mm -hmm. this is the position of, you know, these people in the field. And I, I feel like other fields do this. Other fields like have spent the time to, to like organize position statements with large groups of people. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe these are all part of one thing. Maybe this is a special issue that comes off at first as this large position statement and then Maybe the whatever lit reviews or studies need to be done in order to support that idea. Um, I don't know, but you know, again, I'm on the periphery out here, so I feel like I get to look in and, and criticize, and then um, if, when, when it's convenient for me, I stay in the field, and when it's inconvenient, I say I'm an adapted fee person. <laughs> and that's why we cornered you to be on this uh, phone call, so you can actually give us some advice from the outside and then jump in and out however you please whenever it's most convenient for you. So, but um, I think, you know, overall this, this is exactly what I was hoping this would be, would be a robust conversation prompted by this article that didn't necessarily always keep us on point about this article, but about bigger things and how it relates in the field. So, um, I really want to thank both of you for your time. Um, looking forward to get Michael uh, Michael on next time as well. And um, thanks. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Risto. Thanks for organizing, guys. <laughs>